0: Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. It's easy to look at the success and scale of Silicon Valley and think nowhere else can match the level of talent, funding, and so many other key elements of success. The reality, though, is different. Today, there are more than 480 startup ecosystems around the world and 1.3 million venture-funded businesses, driving innovation from farming to healthcare. Over the last quarter century, Canada has seized on this global shift and is now home to three of the top 30 startup ecosystems in the world, Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. But the competition is growing and is coming from every continent. Understanding startup ecosystems is something Alex Lazaro is an expert on. The Winnipeg-born former banker now lives in Silicon Valley. And works with Cathay Innovation, investing in technology companies globally. For his new book, Out Innovate, Alex has interviewed more than 200 founders, investors, and ecosystem builders on how to be what he calls born global, and how to build sustainable companies for the 2020s. Alex, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to connect with you, even on this platform and from a distance. I'm in Toronto today. You're in San Francisco, but you're originally from Winnipeg. How did you get from Winnipeg to the Valley?
1: You know, I've always been focused on this intersection between innovation, questions of impact, and investing. My uh, first job out of college in Winnipeg was uh, was in Toronto. I worked for RBC. So this uh, podcast is a special meaning to me. I was uh, doing investment banking. And I came out of that experience really loving the tool of finance, ended up deciding to do an MBA. I moved to the States and came out of that with uh, a desire to invest in high growth, high impact companies. I realized I had no discernible skills. And so I put those plans on hold and ended up taking a, an offer to join a consulting firm, uh, McKinsey in Brussels, where I lived for a few years. I deferred that actually for a little bit to work at the the Bank of Canada and Ottawa as well, um, and then ended up working in Europe and then later in DC. The plan had always been to come back to the world of, of innovation. And I had the opportunity to move to San Francisco when I joined the Omidyar Network as we were launching a new financial inclusion fintech fund. About two and a half years ago, joined the fund I'm at now, Cafe Innovation, uh, investing in startups around the world.
0: That's a great journey. But the reason we're connecting right now is you've also got a book out called Out Innovate. What inspired you to write a book? I've always had one foot
1: in Silicon Valley, where I live, and one foot investing and supporting entrepreneurs around the world. And outside of work, I've been teaching entrepreneurship at the Middlebury Institute for International Studies, which is Middlebury College's graduate program in Monterey. And I was getting really frustrated that I kept wanting to sign my students books on innovation, and invariably, I felt like I had to contextualize what I was sharing with them, with the reality of building startups in tougher ecosystems, and ecosystems with less capital, less Depth of trained startup human capital, or that were more prone to macroeconomic shocks, and I believe that the best entrepreneurs operating in Winnipeg or Toronto or Amsterdam or Bangalore or Singapore have more in common with the best entrepreneurs operating in Sao Paulo than they do with those in San Francisco, and yet no one is telling their stories. And so I decided I would. I interviewed about two hundred entrepreneurs from around the world, mostly folks that are leading some of the biggest businesses or have already scaled and exited, and. Try to catalog what is, I believe, not only their pushing back of the Silicon Valley playbook, but in many ways, the reinvention of a new innovation playbook for today's world of scaled global innovation.
0: I want to ask you about innovation in so many different places, but let's start in the Valley because that remains the epicenter of so much. The US is just incredibly good at scaling. Let's start there. What do you find magical about the US approach to innovation and to scale?
1: What's really interesting is that I believe that the model for innovation, in some ways, it wasn't even a US model. It's, it's actually historically been highly concentrated in one region, right? Silicon Valley, or perhaps the West Coast and a handful of other startup ecosystems, where there's a lot of these ingredients that are all present. There's a really strong talent ecosystem. There is a supportive ecosystem around that of corporates and universities. There's a bunch of scaled companies that have demonstrated the success of entrepreneurship and have created the next generation and trained them, et cetera. And there's this self-fulfilling wheel that has happened and, and that continues to create and support entrepreneurs. But I think what's really exciting is that that model is now becoming globalized. And we are seeing those same things starting to exist in ecosystems around the world. It has never been easier to start a startup. On the one hand, some of the infrastructure, like what Amazon Web Services provide, the ability to rent a supercomputer by the hour, or for the e-commerce world, what Shopify in Canada does to making it very easy to start an e-commerce business. Or even to the culture of entrepreneurship and uh, the policy agenda run by governments are making it much easier to start startups everywhere. And so across the U.S., we're now seeing startup ecosystems pop up across Canada, and across the world. There's over 480 startup ecosystems, according to the Startup Genome, and over 1.3 million venture-funded startups. So what I think is the most exciting thing is there is this ecosystem that has succeeded in the Valley, but now we're seeing the beginnings, and in many cases, the maturation of that happening in many places elsewhere as well.
0: And yeah, I love that stat, 1.3 million tech startups globally. I think you say in the book, 480 tech hubs around the world. Where are the next valleys emerging fastest and how are they different? The first thing is,
1: I think many of them will not be valleys and I I actually hope that in 10 years we don't call things Silicon Valley X. I hope that we get rid of that language because I think what's going to happen is that different parts of the world are going to specialize and become world-class at different types of innovation. And so the Valley today is obviously a towering ecosystem in the world, but we're starting to see different places becoming excellent at different things. And I think we're going to see an acceleration of that. So that's how it's going to play out. In some ways, the right analogy might be the auto industry. Think back 100 years. If you were an entrepreneur, what would you do? You would be founding a car business and you'd probably move to Detroit, right? The technology of the day wasn't software, it was automobiles, and it equally promised to remake the modern world. Then what happened? innovation became global. And today, if you want the capital of raw engineering and automobiles, perhaps it's Germany, or the sexy sports cars is in Italy, or the most reliable vehicles might be in Japan, and arguably electric cars, the capital is in Silicon Valley, or perhaps Shenzhen in China. The same thing is going to happen to the world of innovation, where the valley will continue to be a very relevant system and location. But Places like Minneapolis that have a thriving healthcare ecosystem will become world-class at those types of businesses. I believe that places like Toronto and Montreal are going to continue to become some of the best places of the world to do things like artificial intelligence, where there is a really strong ecosystem. So that's where I think the world is going.
0: And do these ecosystems need to specialize in the way you laid out to be globally number one or two at one thing?
1: I think it will depend. I think we're going to see some ecosystems becoming regional epicenters. So if you're going to build a startup to serve Southeast Asia, places like Singapore are starting to become one of the hubs. Similarly for the Middle East, Dubai is becoming a hub. I think we're going to see some of that type of specialization, as well as some of these deep tech specializations or areas that have an ecosystem centered around an idea. London is a good example of that. For fintech, certainly pre-Brexit, let's see what happens after that. I think we're gonna see that dimension of it as well. There's a couple factors that have changed in how tech is getting scaled today. And in the book I talk about this is this notion of being born global, where the best startups, particularly when they're operating in places outside the US, and and this is very true of the Canadian ecosystem, have to be born global from the get-go. And on the one hand, it is a necessity of TAM, total addressable market, if needed to find a market that's very large and has room to scale, and so as a result, entrepreneurs build across different geos and the other dimension and perhaps accentuated by the work from home situation, you know, we're recording in the midst of COVID is that distributed teams are on the rise. And so in some ways, I think we're going to see a hybrid where there are going to be hubs that will be very, very strong at certain things, either for regionalization or different types of technologies, but we're also going to see startups coming from everywhere. And leveraging some of the resources from different places, be it the talent or be it the expertise or what have you. So, I think we're gonna see a little bit of a hybridization of that over time.
0: Given this profound disruption we're all part of experiencing in terms of distributed work, why do we need ecosystems? Can't we all kind of be in our Wi Fi enabled cabin? Within this
1: area of what distributed teams are, there's actually a pretty big range where, on the one end of the spectrum, you might say, we're all working in the same city and in the same location and the same office. And at the other end of the range, you might say fully work from home and you get to work from a cabin at the lake. But in between that, there's a lot of different things where there are models where you might be multipolar. You might have you know one office in the Valley for tech and R&D and an office in Salt Lake City because that happens to be one of the best places for customer service and an office in X, Y, or Z city for other things. To other models where you know some part of the workforce is remote and others are not. And I think that the way this will play out is that not every company is gonna go fully remote. It's gonna depend on the product. It's gonna depend on the culture of the leaders and of the organization. It's gonna depend on a myriad factors that will be germane to the context and the particular company. And so as a result, I don't think we're gonna see a fully remote world. I think we're gonna see a little bit of this, this hybridization.
0: The notion of clusters, the study of clusters, is not new. I'm curious in the 2020s, given the power of technology, which is fundamentally different from where it was 25 and certainly 50 years ago, what makes for a strong ecosystem these days?
1: You know, a lot of folks have talked about the ingredients to startup ecosystems. What are the things that you need to make them successful? The contribution that I focused on in the book is what does it need to unlock an ecosystem to really help it become successful and scale? And where I think there's a lot of value is this concept of older siblings. If you map startup ecosystem acceleration in different markets, what you notice is actually, you know, there might be one billion dollar company one year, maybe a couple years later there's another, but that doesn't unlock this perpetual machine. It's at a certain point where there's a certain amount of concentration. In China, for instance, there are about $5 billion businesses. And all of a sudden, the next year, there is a rapid exponential increase of the amount of them in the year after and so on. And I think that what happens is you get these older siblings, these company founders that demonstrate what's possible, become role models for the next generation entrepreneurs, train within their companies. A small army of folks that have worked within startup ecosystems. That might connect the dots with other folks in different companies. And all of a sudden, that unlocks it. And so, one of the things that I think startup ecosystem builders must focus on is not just getting the top of the pipeline and getting a lot of new businesses started, but also making sure that some of the biggest and best businesses are able to scale and be successful. And I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about Canada right now is that we have seen a number of really great companies really scale and become world-class, but also enduring. And hopefully we'll see coming out of that a mafia of them. I and I think Shopify will be top of my list for that, for instance. And that would be an area where I would be focused on as an ecosystem builder.
0: I think that's a fair compliment to Canada. But I was also struck by the analysis in the book of what you call ecosystem density. And Toronto and Montreal are about on par with Kigali and Sao Paulo, well behind Lagos, Bangalore, Shanghai, Tel Aviv. What's missing? In terms of ecosystem density for us
1: I'll start by saying I think Canada has a lot of the ingredients to continue to be and accelerate its leadership as one of the best innovation ecosystems around the world. On the one hand, I think we have excellent launching point for innovation to scale into the US and around the world. I think two, some of the data that's unequivocal is the role of. Uh, immigrants and cross-pollination of ideas. And Canada's taken a leadership position on that. Three is, you know, frankly, some sector expertise on a couple of domains, including artificial intelligence and things like that. So I think we have a lot of those things, but also these ecosystems won't be built over time. Silicon Valley exists today, but it's actually a much, much older story, right? Over 50 year old story. I think some of this will take time and some of this will just continue to build brick by brick on this over time. It won't be built overnight.
0: What struck me in our conversation was that innovation can happen anywhere. It doesn't respect geographic boundaries. It doesn't care if you were successful in the past. And this got me thinking how Canada can win at the innovation game. We have a lot of the right ingredients, but at the same time, we face a few key challenges. I was curious to hear more from Alex about his thoughts on what Canada may be missing. One of the things I wonder about in terms of Canada's challenges is venture capital. We have a lot of good VC firms here, and uh, some of them may even be great, but it's not seen globally as a Canadian strength. And I'm curious what you think we may be missing.
1: So I think that's a really interesting question, because what has happened in the venture capital ecosystem and what is beginning to happen in the ecosystem is an adaptation of the VC model. So the VC model itself was inspired by a totally different industry the whaling industry in New Bedford. And the reason New Bedford dominated the whaling industry for so long is because they had figured out a model to finance ships and create a portfolio of highly risky assets. And so that's where the inspiration came. It ended up being very successful in the Valley and has become synergistic to supporting entrepreneurship here. What is playing out in the world right now is as the startup movement continues to globalize, right, 480 startup hubs, over a million startups, so too does the venture model need to also adapt and evolve to these different ecosystems. And I think that that's one of the things where Canada and other emerging startup ecosystems continue to be thoughtful on is how to take a leadership position. So three areas where I think we're going to see some evolution of the VC model. The first is, around the actual product itself. So traditionally VC, inspired from the whaling industry, investing equity into startups. Another industry you might take inspiration from that also successfully supports high-risk industries is the mining industry. And in that model, where Canada also has a really deep leadership, it's royalty payments that are taken. And that model could be adapted to something like revenue shares, which you could fund startups that don't necessarily have this winner-takes-all necessity to fund a portfolio of losses as well, you could actually support sales of thriving businesses that might just have different dynamics. And and so we're gonna see some adaptation there. I think second, I think we're seeing an adaptation of who are the players? The one model of what VC looks like, and it's these VC funds, but in different ecosystems, for instance, in China, the role of corporates is much stronger, right? Corporate investors like Tencent and Alibaba don't just invest, but also offer the wealth and breadth of their ecosystems to help scale startups. Canada could be part of that conversation too, right? And with our incredible ecosystem of global companies, what can we do to support startups on that vantage point? And then the third dimension that I explore in the book is, how do we think about making decisions about entrepreneurs, particularly the rise of computerized decision-making, I think is interesting. How do we leverage some of these new technologies to flatten access to venture capital. So it isn't entirely dependent on being in the same city where the VCs are, but also judging entrepreneurs by objective metrics. I think we're going to see more of those evolutions. And I think those are going to be necessary because one VC model is not one size fits all for everything.
0: One of the most fascinating concepts in the book is what you call frontier innovators. Maybe you can explain first what a frontier innovator is. The reason I
1: call it the frontier is this notion of where the next wave of entrepreneurs are coming from. And if I was going to, Do a double click on that that was still a gross oversimplification. You might say, look, there might be two dimensions to it. The first is the market where the entrepreneurs are operating in. Are they developed markets versus developing? And then perhaps the other ecosystem angle might be ecosystem intensity that you alluded to earlier high ecosystem intensity, low ecosystem intensity. Top right corner of that two by two matrix, you might say Silicon Valley is there, or perhaps a handful of other cities like Tel Aviv or London or others. In the book, I take us to places like Pyongyang in North Korea. You might say that is the exact opposite corner, right? Very developing country, very, very nascent startup ecosystem. But in between there, there's a lot of differences in places like Winnipeg, right? Developed country, developing startup ecosystem versus Bangalore, developing country, but highly developed startup ecosystem. And in the book, I try to give examples of the extremes to really show the big differences, but also pull apart some of the nuances by looking at different ecosystems that might have, Things that look closer than the valley. So that's what I define as the frontier. And in the book, I talk about innovators a little bit more narrowly than just entrepreneurship in general, because I'm pretty focused on entrepreneurs of opportunity rather than necessity. So people that are choosing to be entrepreneurs rather than have to be. So take away the roadside vendor or that kind of thing. Second is entrepreneurs that are leveraging some type of business model or technological innovation. And third, Entrepreneurs that have an ambition to scale their business as well. And so that's the area that I really focus on.
0: Scaling is one of Canada's greatest challenges. We may be getting better at it. Shopify is certainly showing how to do it. What do you think are the most important ingredients for scaling?
1: I would think about three of them. I think the first is the capital ecosystem to support the startup. And... We talked a little bit about the VC model already, and I think that's an area where the Canadian ecosystem can continue to grow. I think two, critically, is the team ecosystem. As you scale, you need to hire more and more folks. There's a survey of emerging market founders that was really interesting because it was in some of the toughest, least capital provided ecosystems in the world. And they said, what are your biggest pain points? And unsurprisingly capital was one but actually team was right next to it and it was the only one that increased over time and then i think third is ecosystem around it that is supportive that will work with entrepreneurs regulation that will support it those kind of things
0: you say something else that's really important about uh, frontier innovation which is that frontier innovators are creators you make the argument there's a difference between creators and disruptors. Creators are different. And I noted a line in the book that says creators don't create companies, they build industries. Tell us a bit more about what defines a creator versus an innovator or a disruptor.
1: Yeah, in many ways, I think this is one of the critical areas in the book where before I even talk about how startups are founded, I think it's important to talk about what startups get founded. And this is this notion of being a creator versus disruptor. Around the world, the best entrepreneurs have this creators approach where they are looking instead of inefficient industries, they're looking to create industries, looking for areas where there are massive market gaps. And I define creators as people that are looking to offer a solution that wasn't previously available to the mass market. And this is backed up numerically. In the valley, less than 20% of unicorns are in industries like healthcare financial services, education, agriculture, and other of these critical businesses. But in many emerging startup ecosystems, the ratio is reversed in sub-Saharan Africa, for instance, is over 60%. And so I might even humbly suggest that we might change the name of the podcast to RBC Creators.
0: And this could be the first episode. This could be. We'll take that under advisement, as they say, <laughs> but that, that isn't a bad idea. That's such an important point about the purpose of Innovation as creation. One of the great, I think, frustrations generally in the world and probably in America with the valley is that all this brain power, all this capital, all this creative drive for what? And the great projects of our time of changing the way we live, the way we consume, probably is going on elsewhere. Why is that?
1: One of my hopes for what's going to come out of COVID and this particular time through this incredible tragedy is that it will lay bare some of the biggest challenges that we have in our society, right? The fact in the US that there's 60 million Americans that don't have access to financial products or services, that there's 80 million Americans that have insufficient access to healthcare, those aren't new, but I think the crisis is laying bare those challenges in a way that we now better understand them and see them in many ways, not just as intractable problems, but as opportunities and markets that can be tackled and solved. And I think that's what we need, is that as we reframe some of these challenges into opportunities, this will be where the best and greatest minds will focus. And you know, my advice to founders is, if you're going to spend the next decade of your life tackling one problem, you might as well make it something that's going to have a lot of impact. You might as well look for and find and reframe these big challenges into opportunities, and, and I think that's what is going to give us an opportunity to, to support and promote this next generation of creators.
0: Well, bookstores are slowly reopening, and I'm sure they'll be carrying out Innovate, and I hope people will have a chance to uh, not only read it, but discuss and debate and share the ideas and really push each other to not just innovate, but to out-innovate. Alex, it's been great to uh, get to chat with you. Thank you for being part of RBC Disruptors. Thank you so much for having me. After speaking with Alex, I was left inspired about the potential of startups in the economic recovery. When I think about being born global and what that means for innovators and creators around the world, five concepts really stood out to me. Number one, innovation is more distributed than ever. What used to be concentrated in a select few locations is now possible anywhere, and our newly distributed economy will only accelerate that. With more than 480 startup hubs globally, the next billion dollar startup could come from anywhere. Number two, ideas are global. Gone are the days when only rich developed countries could capitalize on good ideas. New models of innovation focus on improvements and filling market gaps. This means more competition, but also more opportunity. Number three, frontier innovators will build the decade ahead. Too many startup ecosystems got used to the refrain, software is eating the world. A new crop of innovators is focused more on building new industries, rather than gobbling up old ones with software. Hopefully, this means more innovators can focus even more on critical human problems like food supply, healthcare, and environmental sustainability. Number four, venture capital is due for a refresh. The original VC model was adapted from another business, And it worked well for a long time, but global capital flows have changed over the past quarter century and Canadian entrepreneurs and investors need to shift too. This means finding new ways to bring risk capital to Canada and new ways to invest Canadian risk capital abroad. And number five, Canada can win only if we think globally. Canada is one of the most educated countries in the world and we enjoyed unparalleled market access, but we lack density at home. If we want to win, we have to address big global challenges and be unafraid to think of the whole world as our potential market. There's more opportunity than ever to create, innovate and build. What used to be the domain of Silicon Valley is now growing everywhere. While this means there will be more competition for the best ideas to win. New shifts in access to capital, access to talent and access to ecosystems everywhere opens up huge potential for solving some of humanity's biggest challenges. Thank you for listening to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about innovation and how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. If you like this episode, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and chat with us on Twitter using the hashtag RBC Disruptors. We'd love to hear your ideas and where you'd like to take the conversation in future episodes. Until next time, I'm John Stackhouse, and this is RBC Disruptors, This episode was created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and produced by Quill and Origins Media House. The content of this podcast was based on information available at the time of recording and should not be construed as a recommendation for any investment, product, service, or company.